Just a reminder, our podcast deals with crimes that are often violent and graphic in nature, so listener discretion is advised. So when in doubt, leave the kids out. Now, please let us take you back in time. Hello on this Thursday, old-time crime gal fans. This is Melissa. I am flying solo today, um, and in true procrastination fashion, um, we're recording a little late. This week has been a little bit crazy. I've started a new job. You know, Shannon has had some stuff happen, so she couldn't be here. But we're just trying to go with the flow and still give you a good story. And I am going to talk about something that happened on a Sunday morning in June of 1987 in Columbus, Ohio. And this is a story about Anna Mae Florence. I'm going to do my best to do this story and do it justice. And it's hard when you're just by yourself talking and there's no one to get reactions from or hear commentary. And I know you guys probably talk aloud in your car when you're jogging. I know I do when I listen to podcasts. I just hope I do a good job and slow down so that you can understand the story. So Anna Mae Florence, she's a widow. She grew up in Alabama. But when her husband had passed away and she did not have any children, her brother and her sister-in-law, they wanted to move her up to Columbus, Ohio to be closer to the family. Because that's always a good thing. And so she, on a Sunday morning, this was June 26, 1987, she was getting ready to go shopping. She was going to spend the day with her brother-in-law and her sister. They were going to come pick her up and they were going to go out and just do some shopping, which everyone loves to do. And so she was just waiting at home when her doorbell rings. And so she opens it up, but it was not her brother, Alonzo, and her sister. It was a young girl. And what happened next just was absolutely horrible, violent, unnecessary, just horrible, horrific crime. So she was met with blows to the head she was you know the struggle ensued it was just furniture overturned she was stabbed it was it was just not good but what happened was alonzo and her sister arrived and they were knocked on the door and when they knocked on the door they heard anna may scream and she's obvious something was going on and she told alonzo to kick the door in because the door was locked And so he goes to kick the door, but then the handle starts to turn and then outruns this young girl covered in blood. And he, you know, grabs her by the arm instinctively because she's not supposed to be there that, you know, what is going on? And her arm is so covered in blood that he can't get a grip on her. And she literally was caught red handed and it slips from his grip and she starts running. Well, he runs after her and Alonzo chases her, but she turns around and says that if he keeps following her, she's going to shoot. But then so he stops and he runs back to anime. Well, anime was still breathing, but she was laying on the floor, you know, covered in blood. A telephone cord was wrapped around her neck. And he asked if she knew who did this. And her response was she didn't. And then she passed away. So this is just a gruesome and horrible, horrible sight. And of course, police arrive. The only thing they can get 
is a partial bloody fingerprint next to a window. But it's so smudgy. And this is 1987. So there is no you know, digital fingerprinting um, analysis. So they take a picture of it and they cut out the drywall. They save a bunch of stuff from the scene. They save like a box fan, a chair, the door. They literally took the door off the hinges and took it into evidence. They saved as much as they could and tried to process it. DNA wasn't available yet, so they had to, you know, really do this old school. They had to hit the streets. They had a visual description from Alonzo of what this girl looked like, what she was wearing. And so they spread out and they start canvassing the area. They knock on all the doors. They ask everyone questions. All the young girls that fit the description get fingerprinted. They just do everything they can to try and narrow it down and find the person who did this. So now it's June 28th, 1987. So this is two days later. They're waiting for tips to come in. You know, they're trying to go through all the fingerprints. None of the fingerprints match. Of course, they had to visually inspect it by hand. They had a latent um, person fingerprint specialist. They couldn't find a match. But then they get a phone call. And it was from an anonymous man who didn't want to give his name. And he says that he was at a party. And he overheard a girl talking about how she just stabbed some lady in the neck. And she describes, you know, having scratches on her arms where she was being tugged and pulled at, where she almost got caught. And she was being grabbed. She had some bruises. And, you know, this was sounding pretty credible to what happened. So they press and they press and they keep asking for his name. And finally, he agrees to give his name. He says his name is Odell. And he spells it O-D-E-L-L. He also says that he knows the name of the girl that was talking about the crime. And so he gives the name Danita Campbell. He said he used to go to school with her. And he decides to come into the station to give a formal interview. And he wants to help catch Danita. So they record him. And, you know, he states his name, states his address, states his social security number, and starts talking. So they have him on the tape. He agrees to help wear a wire to catch Tanita confessing to this crime. But at the last minute, he decides to back out and then he disappears. So now they really, they have a suspect. So now they have to turn their focus on finding Danita. So once they locate her, they have, you know, plainclothes policemen going around the city trying to find her. They find her. Of course, they pull her over in a traffic stop. During this traffic stop, she was um, exited out of the vehicle. She was fingerprinted on a card right then and there, right on the hood of her car, because they needed to get all of her fingerprints so they can compare it to the only one found at the crime scene on that piece of drywall. So, again, it's the 1980s, so there's no computer program that analyzes, you know, data points that can, you know, compare the two similarities between the two fingerprints. So there is a person who had to physically stare at, you know, at this piece of drywall and this fingerprint card and determine without a doubt, with 100% surety, that this was the fingerprint. And so, you know, it took days, even longer, like weeks, but the partial print was smeared so that they could not verify that it was a match. And so eventually the case goes cold. So the case goes cold until August 27, 2012. So this is like 27 years after the murder. 
um, Betty, one of the nieces of anime, had kept calling, trying to find out, you know, what was going on. And someone still in the case, wanted to get it reopened. And so Kathy Justice and Ralph Taylor are two detectives that reopened this case. So they were going to do what the first investigation didn't. They were going to try to figure out who killed Anna Mae Florence. But the crime scene was demolished. They wanted to start at point one. Where did this happen? But the apartment was no longer standing. Now it was, you know, other houses, a neighborhood had rolled in, times had changed, and they couldn't go back to the actual crime scene. So what they did was they went into the evidence room and they pulled out everything that was saved. I mean, down to the chairs, that box fan, you know, the phone, the telephone cord, the door that was off the hinges, you name it, they pulled it out. And because advances in technology, they were going to try to get some prints off of something. So they would have more stuff to work from. But they decided to, in the back of a box, found tapes. And they didn't even know if these tapes would work anymore because no one uses tapes. But they decided to try and play them. Well, it turns out Odell was interviewed a second time. And this time he gives up some more information. He said that he overheard the girl, which is Danita, say that there was a social security check in her purse, but she didn't take it or the purse. She just took the money that she saw. And then in the evidence bag was Anna Mae's purse, and in the purse was still her social security check. And that was information that was not given out to the public. No one would know that except for who killed Anna Mae Florence. So now they knew that Odell's information was creditable and that Danita was who they were looking for. But they just couldn't match those prints. So they needed physical evidence to place her in that apartment. So what they did was they created the crime scene with photos. So they took all the photos and they laid it out and they drew this the, the layout of the house on this floor with chalk and you know, placed things where they were to try to figure out what they were missing. And then looking at the photos, you know, Kathy was trying to figure out what was out of place. And looking at everything, you know, counter, Anna Mae had tried to make her a sandwich, you know, stuff was overturned. But sitting in the recliner, or a chair, in the living room, was a jar of mayonnaise. Which is odd. A jar of mayonnaise shouldn't be in your living room away from your kitchen. And so she thought that maybe Danita had picked it up and put it there on her way out because the attack got interrupted by Alonzo and his, her sister knocking on the door. And so she goes to the evidence log and she scans everything. Someone bagged the mayonnaise jar. So it survived 27 years in an evidence bag so the jar was brought back to the lab and it was tested now it was tested using a really cool thing called super glue fuming and what that is is they have a chamber so they put the mayonnaise jar in a chamber and then you have a little metal tin that has super glue and water in it and it's heated up and as the glue heats it gives off fumes and the fumes stick to the sweat particles left behind on the fingerprints. And so then they're able to pull a print from this 27-year-old mason jar. 
And here's a fun fact. This is crazy. If you go in your cabinet and you grab a glass and then you decide you don't want it and you put it back, your fingerprints are still on there 30 years later, as long as it's been untouched. And if you pick up a piece of paper and you fibble around with it and you, you touch it and you put it down on the table, they can still lift your prints 100 years later because your fingerprint soaks into the paper. So that's just really cool, weird fact that I've accumulated over my years. Um, so the rule is, you know, lesson, wear gloves. Or just don't commit crimes at all, but you know. But the part, the print was pulled from the top of the mayo jar, but it was like facing the wrong direction. So it wasn't like someone picked up the mayonnaise jar and tried to twist the top off. It was like they were holding it upside down, getting ready to hit somebody over the head. And so they knew that it probably had to belong to Danita. And so they start analyzing the fingerprint. So they decided to compare it to Danita's car that she had to get fingerprinted when she was at that traffic stop. So they go to pull the fingerprint card and it's missing. It turns out that somehow the detectives lost that. It's just gone. So now they do not have a set of Danita's prints to compare the mayonnaise jar print to. So now they have to find her again. But luckily, it just so happens she had a warrant out for jaywalking, like a minuscule minor, minor thing. But it was enough that they could arrest her and bring her into the station and then fingerprint her there again. So now, Kathy, the detective, wants to interview her. And she only has, you know, just a minimum amount of time to try to hope to get a confession out of this, you know, find out what happened then. Because Danita, she was brought in, remember, the jaywalking warrant. So they can't keep her for hours. They can't hold her for an extended period of time. They can't grill her like they would if she were a murder suspect. She is, but that's not what they brought her in for. And so they don't have hours. They have minutes, like 15, 30 minutes tops. So that fingerprint card was rushed to the back of the lab. And you have someone who's standing over it, who's trying hard to compare from the manage jar to this card. You know, so they're sitting there and they're talking and then the fingerprint tech comes in and slides the detective a piece of paper and it's not a match. Danita didn't touch the mayo jar. So where do, where do you go from there? They're lost. They had a person come in that say, this is who did it. They gave all these details and they couldn't, it's not her. She matched the description Odell couldn't have done it. He was, a, you know, this big, big man. And it was a young woman who ran out of the house covered in blood. So now they're at kind of a, a loss. So they decide to track Odell down. So they tracked him down at his new address. He had moved, you know, this is 27 years later. You know, he invites him in. You know, he sits down and they decide to play the tape for him. So he hears the voice on the other end of the tape say, my name is Odell. O-D-E-L-L, -L. you know, I live at 65 Edinburgh, and he spells it out, E-D-E-N-B-U-R-G-H, and he says, yeah, that's my name, you know, that's my social security number, and that's my old address, but that's not me. The detectives were furious. They're like, what do you mean? This is you on the tape. It says you, your name, your address. This is you. You did this interview 27 years ago. I would be livid. And he says, it can't be me. 
it's not me because the way he spells his address like that, he said, I can't spell that. I can't read and I can't write. And then they just get a sinking feeling in their stomach. If this is true, then who do they have on the tape? So they go back through the police records and they find out that when Odell came in to give the first interview, no one checked his identification. No one verified that he was Odell. So someone came into the police station, sat down and gave them all of Odell's information and a story. And now they couldn't even find out if the story was, was, they couldn't find Nina wasn't responsible. Who did it? So this is just a little bit like a goose chase. So they sit Odell down and they play the tapes. And he's like, please, please tell me this is someone that you recognize. Do you, does this voice sound familiar to you? Who would have your information? And he thinks for a while. And then he said, you know what? kind of sounds like my cousin Chris. So now a new person jumps into the picture. Chris is his cousin. And back in 87, when Odell was going around applying for jobs, because he could not read or write, Chris would come along with him and fill out all his information. So he knew Odell's social security number. He knew his address. He knew almost everything about him. And so now they have to track down Chris. So they find Chris, and he denies everything. He's like, nope, it wasn't me. Didn't go to the station. I, you must have talked to Odell. I don't know what you're talking about. So then they play the tapes for his mom. And she's like, look, I mean, talk, Chris. It's been 27 years. Like, just tell him what happened. Just be honest. And so finally, he admits that it was him. He said that he, he came in, and he, he does know Danita. He knew her, but she didn't do it. But he knows who did it. And he was just trying to blame somebody for the crime. Because he wanted somebody to pay. But not who was. He was protecting who really did it. So now they're like. Please just let's finish this once and for all. Just tell us who did this. So he said. A friend named Zena came over. And sat down on the porch. They were talking. And she, she just had to get something off of her chest. You know she, she owed a drug dealer a lot of money. And it just was not looking good. So she just decided to go door to door and ask for money. And she reaches Anna Mae Florence. She knocks on the door. Anna Mae answers. She grabs her purse and hands her a few dollars. She was going to help her out. Because she was nice like that. But Zena got a good look inside the pocketbook. And there was money inside. So she decided to attack Anime for the cash and then run out the door into the street. So now they had one last suspect. This was Kathy and their last chance. Last chance. They said if this doesn't work out and we can't find this girl and she didn't do it, it's time to put it back in the cold case. They were going to put the box up and let everything go. So Kathy and Ralph needed to find Zena. Well, lucky for them, Zena got a driver's license when she was 16 in the same area, so they knew who they were looking for. She had been arrested for shoplifting, and her prints were on file in Georgia. So, immediately, they send off for them to be delivered. And so, patiently, they wait. They wait, and they wait. 
and it comes back a match. Zena was the one who had her hands on the mayonnaise jar, who was in Anime's apartment when she attacked her. So August 15th in 2013 in Rome, Georgia, the Rome Police Department puts up a Facebook post with her picture and says, have you seen this woman? Within two minutes, they had a response. So they knocked on the door and Zena invites them in. As she's sitting down, they're asking her these questions. She denies everything, but it's kind of hard to deny physical response. She is sweating so bad that they can see the drops of sweat come from her head all the way. Like she's just pouring sweat, which is such an evident sign of either she did something, she knows something, she's guilty. And so they arrest her and bring her in. And on August 25th, 2014, Zena Robertson was sentenced 15 years to life for the murder of Anna Mae Florence. So that is the story of Anna Mae. And it's one of those cases, I, I like reading cold cases that they end up solving years later because it's just so, well, it's satisfying to find out who did it. But it's just interesting how many twists and turns sometimes these cases take. And then sometimes the killer ends up being, you know, right there all along. And they they just couldn't get him in the beginning. But this girl was caught. Lonzo had his hands on her. He physically was holding her. But she slipped through his fingers because of the all the blood. And it's just sad. But... Anna Mae Florence. So she finally got justice and her family is so grateful to Kathy and Ralph who reopened the case so many years later and looked with fresh eyes and were able to spot something that led them to track down Xena and hold the responsible party accountable for what they've done. And I know it's a little different without Shannon here today. And I really don't like talking to just myself, but we wanted to make sure we did the podcast and give you a story so that we'll be here next Thursday, hopefully together with another story. And if you have any story ideas, you can, you can hit us up on Facebook. Please email us, share the podcast with your friends. We're everywhere, Spotify, Apple, Google. I know I say it every week, but we really appreciate you listening. We love that you guys love the stories. And if you, do the crime. We'll catch up with you in time and then we'll talk about it.